You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner. I'm joined by Mike O'Connor for the latest Sixers Beat. Mike O'Connor of The Athletic Philadelphia, which we launched on Tuesday. You've got myself and Mike and Rich Hoffman covering the Sixers. You have Shil Kapadia, formerly of Birds 24-7 and ESPN. He will be covering the Eagles along with Bo Wolf, and Rich will also write for them there as well. Um, you have Charlie O'Connor and an excellent team of writers that he assembled to cover the Flyers. You have Liz Rocher and Justin Clue covering the Phillies, and we will have more names to announce. But just a, a venture I'm really excited about, and I think we'll be able to you know, really tap into these teams and cover them in a way that the diehard fans will really appreciate. You know, I think we had some great content out there on week one, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to what we do from here. So check that out. Uh, there are some coupon codes out there to get a discount on subscription. Check my timeline for that. But uh, how you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. Doing great. Website was uh, off to a great start this week. I've, you know, really enjoyed everything from feedback on Twitter to the comments section and no, it's been a good week. Yeah, yeah, it has. It's been a it's been an exciting week, that's for sure. Um, you know, I think one thing I'm gonna try not to talk too much about the website here while we go. Uh but I think one thing that I, I've really enjoyed just myself is that it's uh it's completely customizable. Like you go there and now that they've got so many cities up, they've got some national writers up, you go there and you can pretty much make your own homepage. Like you can say, I want to, I want news on the, you know, Sixers, on the Warriors, on the Bulls. You can get stuff that we write along with stuff that Danny Larue and 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 Tim Kawakami and and his team writes on the Warriors, and you can customize it. Or you you can say, okay, I only want the Eagles and the Sixers. Forget about the Phillies and the Flyers. You can completely customize the teams and the cities that you want on your home feed. Uh, the app ha- carries that over, and you get just what you want. Uh, I think it's a, it's it's actually a, a really good. As a technologist, I appreciate that it is a a really good browsing experience, and I think it just it makes it a little easier to use. No ads, no pop ups, no auto play videos, nothing of that sort. Just content. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a I think it's a good proposition. I do, and obviously, I have a little bit of a vested interest in saying that, uh, but I do believe it as well. So, um, also, I'm a little. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if I'm a genius or not, a genius or an idiot by hiring two better basketball writers than myself uh, to join the team. But I think there's been some really good content in week one. And as we get closer, hopefully there will be a lot more as well. So thank you for that, Mike. Yeah, you got it. You got it. All right. Let's get back into uh, into into the podcast instead of the advertisement. A uh, little bit of news this week. Uh, not Nothing too major. It's the... You know September speculation news, but we have a report that Embiid's camp will not let him play five on five until a contract extension is is finalized, um, including speculation that he could hold out. So we'll we'll talk about that briefly. Uh, the NBA brought back up lottery reform, which is one of my favorite topics. So we'll touch on that again, and whether as a Sixers fan you should be hoping that it happens, and whether as an NBA fan you should be hoping that it happens, and then we'll get. Briefly back into, you know, Eurobasket is is in full swing. So you have uh, Luka Doncic over there playing. We'll get briefly back into some Doncic-Bagley-Porter discussion that maybe we cut a little short last time. But, 
you know, I guess we'll start with the Embiid report because it's one that directly affects the team, team the most. So Howard Eskin on the radio mentioned um, on, on on WIP, the, the fine radio station that, that also cuts me a check and I love. Uh, so on WIP, Howard Eskin mentioned that in Embiid's camp, Leon Rose, CAA, Embiid's camp was hardballing the Sixers for uh, a contract extension and that he's, they won't let him play five on five right now until they can get uh, get that worked out and even speculation that he could hold out. So I guess, you know, your real quick thoughts on that subject. Do you think it's realistic that Embiid could hold out when the season starts? And, you know, I guess your reaction to him asking for what sounds like a maximum contract. Well, first, I think that it's it's crazy that this is um, that this is somewhat realistic that this could happen. I mean, Embiid has played 31 games in three years, but it's just the level that he played at last year makes it almost reasonable to to hold out. That being said, I don't think that I, I just don't see Embiid uh, deciding to do that. It just sounds so hypocritical to hold out for a max contract. Uh, to not play five on five before doing that, it just sounds ridiculous to not to say I'm I will not get a max contract. I will not play five on five until I get a max contract. How are you going to give a max contract to somebody that's not that can't play five on five? So it, it doesn't make too much sense there uh, logically. But I I really would be shocked if Embiid is going to decide to hold out. I mean he's been at the practice facility all summer long and. You know, he, he you can tell that Embiid just has such a great involvement and a spirit with this team and, and the way that he campaigns for, for the team and for all of his guys on social media and such a, a public, uh, proactive voice, you know, just in the media. And I would just be so surprised for Embiid to kind of turn that around and say, no, 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 I'm not going to play five on five until I get my max contract. Um, but that being said, I think the reason we're even entertaining this is because of the the level at which he played last year. If he's going to keep that up and and play at that level, then it absolutely makes sense that he would deserve a max contract. But it would be a huge gamble for the Sixers. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple a couple different um, you know a couple different aspects. First of all, there's you know could he and his agent be asking for a max contract? Well, yeah, that that's probably the most believable one. And we can say that the Sixers shouldn't give it to him, and I completely agree with that. He has to show a little bit more. You have to get a, some kind of a discount to give up that, you know, basically the ability to go out and get a year's worth of more information. You're going to have to get a discount in order to give that up, uh, whether that is a discount off of the the total salary, whether that is a discount on the guaranteed portion of the salary, because you can tie it to either games played or to a specific injury. So maybe maybe that's something they could discuss. Um, but I could I could certainly see Embiid's camp right now asking for the most they can get, and then as that October sixteenth deadline becomes closer, then that drops you know a little bit, and whether or not that drops enough is is probably what's going to end up determining whether or not a deal gets done. So I could certainly see them asking for a lot right now. And the second aspect of it, well, well, could they not want him playing five on five right now because they don't want him getting injured? Possible. It's at least plausible. Like I don't I don't think it's completely out of the question. Like, I do agree with you. If uh, if he's not playing, why would they give him a contract? But if the Sixers know that he's not playing because it's not injury-related, but it's because of negotiation reasons, you know, it, it, it's, again, it's that is somewhat realistic. Um, and that, that isn't going to impact the Sixers 
medical staff not clearing him, but it could impact maybe, you know, maybe the Sixers not announcing that he's cleared. Like there could, there could be a little bit, all right, look, we won't announce that he's cleared for five on five. Uh, that way it may, maybe doesn't make, make it look like, like we don't want to admit that it is a bargaining tactic. So we'll keep this out of the press. Something like that. There could be weird shenanigans going on, but could I see Joel Embiid holding out of basketball because of a contract dispute? Absolutely not. There is no way I see him holding out of camp, of preseason games, certainly of regular season games. That would be almost unprecedented for a guy on a rookie scale contract negotiating an extension. And for a guy who has missed so much time because of, of, of injury over the last you know three years, do I think Embiid would agree to that? No, there's almost no chance I see Embiid agreeing to that. Um, I have been told that he is, you know, he's, he's around the team. He's going through workouts. Uh, and I've talked to people on the team, associated with the team, that have said, you know, flat out denied the report that he, he would hold out. Obviously, they have a, you know, a little bit of a reason to, to, to you know, convey that. Um, but I do, I just can't. Forget what what people are telling me or not, because right now everyone's probably lying. I just can't. It would be so unprecedented and so out of Embiid's character to say I'm not going to play basketball and try to use that as as leverage. Uh, I just I can't I can't see it happening. Yeah, I, I agree. And the one thing that I was kind of curious about was the history behind this and also the market and where that's at now, because I know a rumor came out a couple of days ago that Jabari Parker was looking for a big time max contract. Um, and that's a guy that's had two ACL tears, and you're really uncertain about his health as well. So, you know, when you look at, like, the history of these guys coming off their rookie contracts and looking for big deals, I think it's pretty unprecedented to have a couple of guys with this kind of injury history. So that the, the fact that there's no precedent like this set, I'm really interested to see what happens there. Yeah, I mean, look, what, if, let's say, Embiid plays out the season, and you start asking yourself, what would he have to show to get a, to get a max contract next summer? And it's really small. Like he he's not gonna he could show no skill development whatsoever, and as long as he's healthy, probably get a max contract next summer. If he plays, you know, so then you go, okay, well, what's he gonna have to do to show that he's healthy? Sixty games. If he plays sixty games at the level he played last year, he's getting a max contract. You could probably make the case that if he plays fifty games, he's getting a max contract. And the question always becomes why. Well, what are you, you know, it's no secret, and this kind of goes into the lottery reform debate, this league is dictated by MVP candidates. If you want to win a championship, you need an MVP candidate. And so the question becomes, what's your more likely avenue of getting an an MVP candidate? Is it betting on Embiid's health, or is it using that cap space to go out and sign one or trade for one? And the answer is almost always going to be it's, it's betting on Embiid's health. And that's why Embiid is still, despite his injury status, indispensable because of how difficult it is to get a player of that caliber and how really impossible it is to use your salary cap space, especially if you're not already a a destination, to go out there and get a player of that caliber. So I think, you know, if he wants to say, look, odds are I'm going to get a max contract next summer. Barring something catastrophic, I'm going to get a max contract next summer. I'll give you some off to lock that in now, or I'll give you some you know, chance to make part a portion of that non-guaranteed. That's when I think the Sixers might start listening. I think it would make sense to listen if you can get that on somewhat of a deal or at least some assurance of an injury, because I don't think it's going to take a whole lot to earn that. But I just, a lockout, very low chance of happening in my mind. Very low chance. Yeah, and I think that the other aspect that I, I think some people have brought up, I saw somebody talking about it on Twitter the other day, but 
Embiid is so good and such a rare talent that even if you sign him to a five-year max contract and he plays 50 games a year, I think it's still worth it. And I, I think I think if you can get 50 games a year out of Embiid for the next five years, I think there's little hesitation in for the Sixers in signing that contract. And from from that standpoint, it's like, you know, do the Sixers just go ahead and, and, and lock this up to, you know, I, I know you included that quote in your piece last week about Brian Colangelo, you know, had mentioned about DeMar DeRozan that it's it's risky to kind of, you know, hardball guys with these contracts because you can you can set a bad precedent and, and damage some relationships. So maybe if the Sixers look at this and, and say, hey, we think we're optimistic that we can get X amount of games out of Embiid per year over the next five years, maybe they go ahead and, and do this before the October 16th deadline. Yeah, and whether or not you'd be okay with 50 games of Embiid probably depends also depends on whether that includes playoffs or not right. because that is really when you want him beat. Yeah, no, I mean it's I'm he's so unique of a talent and so dominant of a player that it's um and beat can even with 31 games played you can play a little bit hardball. Uh you just hope there's a there's a middle ground that somebody flinches leading up to that deadline in in a little over a month. We have a random lottery form coming up in a bit. But before we do a quick word from FanDuel Are you planning on watching football later this afternoon? Of course you are. And for millions of Americans across the country, it's a day to also follow along with your fantasy team. But you know what the worst part of fantasy sports is? Dealing with an awful draft. Maybe you couldn't make the draft and end up with an awful roster full of cowboys that you have to deal with all year long. Maybe the guys you really wanted didn't fall to you. Whatever the case is, that's not a problem with FanDuel. With new contests starting each week, there are no busted seasons and you can fix your mistakes every week. There's something for everyone with FanDuel with lots of contests to choose from starting at just $1. Pick a contest, choose your team, and watch the scores in real time. It's worked for over 2.5 million players who have already won money playing FanDuel, and you should be next. Try FanDuel for free with no deposits required. Visit FanDuel.com to claim your free contest and play for a share of $10,000. Just sign up using promo code SIXERSBEAT. That's FanDuel.com promo code SIXERSBEAT. Void where prohibited. All right, let's move on to lottery reform, which uh, came out. I believe it was Woj uh, that reported that they are going to try to vote on that again this year before the start of the regular season. Yeah, start of the regular season. Uh, And then uh, some uh, GMs and assistant GMs started getting into public debates about that, uh, which which is fun. I don't think I've ever gotten your um, your take on this and your stance on lottery reform. It's a fascinating topic for me because I think there's a lot of people that have different opinions on it. And I think it's one that depending on how it impacts your team, either the team that you run or the team that you care about can sway your opinion one way or the other as well. And I think also people have different goals on what they want the league to be about. So I guess your, your take on lottery reform. Yeah, I'm, I'm of the opinion that it should not change. And I, I think it's perfect the way it is because I just think that there will always be an incentive to tank. Anytime that there is relative, no matter how big the degree of, of, you know, changing percentage chances that you can get, you know, X X number pick, there will always be incentive to worsen your record. There will always be incentive to give yourself a greater percentage chance at that number one pick, no matter if it's going from worst record, from second worst record to the worst record, or if you, say, maybe go from the 14th to the 12th, no matter what you do, there is going to be some incentive to tank because that's just that's the that's how the, the NBA draft is set up. 
Um, but I think that, you know, one thing that was discussed a lot was the fact that, uh, you know, teams that end up in this position year after year, like the Sixers did, it, 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 we look at the Sixers and they're such an extreme case because they were in this for, for four years. And I think that the thing that separates the Sixers is, A, the number of injuries they had, B, the the extremity of their strategy to, to keep themselves there year after year. And I think that, you know, you find, the, the Sixers were a team that did this on purpose with a plan. But if we were to change the lottery and to, to give teams a worse chance at that number one pick, we're really punishing the teams that are truly incompetent. And what that's going to do is create a cycle of just keeping those teams at the, at the bottom year after year after year. And I think that you're going to run into a situation there where those teams are just going to have no chance at getting out of the basement. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, there's still, you can't change, none of this changes the, the really simple fact that the best way to build a team that can really contend for a long time is to get a, a really high pick in the draft. Not that's the only way, but that's the best way. That calculus is still very much in play. So, you know, what are you doing? You know, I, I think... First of all, for years, what we heard was that it's not that the Sixers tanked, it's how far they went, and it's how long that lasted. Well, if you get another team that will come to the same conclusion that, look, because we can't really attract the guy in free agency, we can't attract a superstar in free agency, if we trade for an established star, they're probably going to bolt when they become a free agent. And because there's max contracts and we can't use our salary cap space to be a, a real differentiator, we have to get that guy in the draft, that first guy in the draft. If somebody comes to that conclusion... And look, the odds are still best at the top of the draft with the worst record. Then what are you doing? You know, you're you're introducing more luck. If a team with resolve says, "Look, that's still true. I need to get this guy in the draft," you might just increase the chance that there's a multi-year tank. Now, rather than the Sixers going through, I mean, look, okay, we got Joel Embiid, but we don't know uh, about his health. Uh, we got you know Ben Simmons, but now we don't know about his health, and and so let's go one more year. You might have a team going, look, we got to keep going just to get one guy. Like, we got to go two, three years just to get a guy, a single guy that we think has that kind of potential. Because now you're saying, you know, yeah, you got the worst record in the league, but you, you, could, you could fall to four. You could, or, I'm sorry, you, you could fall to five or six now in the draft. So I think, what, what are you really looking to do? I don't know if it's really going to change behavior of the teams at the bottom of the league, because I think there's still that incentive to be the worst. Um, you know, maybe what you end up doing is rather than having one team that wins, you know, 15 to 17 games, now you might have, have teams fighting for the, the third or fourth worst record. Teams that would have been a 30-win a, a team now might be going, well, shoot, how can we get down to 21 wins to really get into that, that sweet spot of the lottery? I do think you're just shifting it. And you're not changing, you're not fixing any of the fundamental problems with it. And look, the argument was kind of like, it's a symbolic in nature. Maybe, maybe... It'll it'll be just enough to curb some of the the tanking at the bottom. Okay, so what you want you want my my you want me to pat you on the back because you didn't mess up too much? Like the consequences aren't too much. I just I don't think introducing luck as a bigger role for the teams at the bottom is is the way to go about it. And I think the inherent problems in and it's it's you know there, I think there's a lot of disagreement on whether or not you even really want parody like you have in the NFL. Like I think there's a lot of people that want these super teams, these, you know, these Cleveland versus Golden State every year. I think there's a an argument to be made that the NBA makes money off of that. And certainly there's an argument to be made that when 
fans get a player in the draft, a superstar type player, that they want every incentive to be able to keep them. And I kind of get that too. And certainly any changes that you make. And, and when, when we talk about, um, you know, when we talk about fixing competitive balance and, and removing incentive to get, removing necessity really to get players in the draft, a lot of times what we're talking about is increasing player movement for established players. And that certainly carries consequence side effects with that. And maybe you can make the argument that, look, yeah, maybe maybe we could fix tanking by allowing you know superstars to earn what they're really worth and promoting movement of these elite players. And maybe you can make that argument that that's not good for the game because it would it would devastate, let's say, Milwaukee if Giannis left. Okay, but then just don't get mad at the people who realize what the what, what that really means for how how a have not team should go about building. It's just don't make the problem worse. I guess is is really what I'm hoping for. Right, and I, I think I think it was Ben Falk that pointed out the the degree to which the rookie contract is a factor here. Oh, for sure. Like the fact that you can, I mean, for example, we're next year. If we look at Joel Embiid, and he's going to be playing, I think he'll make like four and a half million dollars next year, something like that. And he might be one of the best fifteen players in the NBA. That's that's how powerful it is to be able to draft at the top of the draft um, for that many years in a row, and just. You know, going off that, I think that if we were to change the lottery, the, the teams that it hurts the most are the teams that are worst in the league. For example, if you're, say, the second worst team in the league and you're looking, you're, you're staring right in the face at an 18% chance of that number one pick. And, you know, say we change the lottery and that number changes to about 11%. Well, are you really going to maybe add another veteran piece to try and move up to the seventh worst record in the league? I mean, what would be your incentive? Why would you not just take the greatest possible percent chances that are at your disposal? So, I, again, I just think that what it's going to end up doing if they do change it is making it harder and harder for teams that are in the basement to get out of there. And I think it you touched on super teams a little bit, but it might just create that cycle of dominance for a few elite teams and a few elite franchises that are able to sustain that winning culture as opposed to a team being able to do maybe on a less extreme scale what the Sixers did, where you really bottom out and you're rewarded for that, and you're able to entirely turn the direction of your franchise around. So I, I would be really disappointed for those teams that are you know, looking to make a, a concerted change in their franchise if, the, the, if there is a lottery reform. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing I always go back to is hope. Like, how can you know, people say, look, Teams intentionally not signing a, a veteran because it might help them win a few games is bad for the league. Okay, I don't necessarily disagree. But to me, what's really bad for the league are, are, are franchises, five, six, seven franchises that just have so little hope that it's hard to keep fans interested. It's hard to keep fans engaged and, and really have them live and breathe by what's going on with their team. So let's say you have a team with 25 wins. Okay, nowadays that might get you, uh, you know, let's say the 16% chance of number one pick. Well, is that team, is that fan base going to have any more hope if they have an 8% chance at the number one pick? Like, is that is that going to help? How is that how is that going to help that fan base? How is that going to help the fan base of any of the teams in the you know second, third, fourth, fifth worst record range? I just I I don't see what they're trying to accomplish by changing this. I understand they have to fix the perception problem. You know, I think in Woj's piece they said this isn't a reaction to to maybe people looking to copy the the Sixers. I don't buy that. 
I think a lot of people are looking at the Sixers and saying, look, if this team continues to get national attention and can start competing for a playoff spot, will somebody copy that that um, you know that blueprint? And I thought maybe Adam Silver had done enough to dissuade that kind of an action by ousting Sam Hankey. Uh, I thought maybe the fact that you wouldn't keep your job would have been enough to say, all right, we don't actually need any any real lottery reform now because nobody's going to have the guts to really try this again. I thought maybe that would be enough, but maybe now you'll find an owner say, look, I understand maybe Joshua Harris couldn't go through with this any longer, but look at what they have now. I will. So may, maybe there is still that chance of a of a copycat, and I just I hope they don't over. The NBA loves to overreact to problems, real or imagined, and I hope this isn't another overreaction. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that you know the the, the sad thing about it is the longer we wait, the more inevitable it seems because I think that the Sixers, as you said, will continue to grow and continue to have success, and that'll almost become an example for other teams and say, hey, look, you know, look at what the Sixers did, and the NBA will have to react by almost de-incentivizing that. And it's 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 almost sad that, that the Sixers' plan worked so well that it is going to cause a change in the system, but I think that a lot of people forget, like you said, the cost that that came at. Our, you know, the GM lost his job. The, yeah. the, the media in this city for years were ripping the franchise apart, and, and fans felt some, a, a certain large group of the fans felt ostracized. There's such a huge cost that this tanking comes at. I think there's enough incentive already to not do that. The Sixers had incredible, incredible luck as well in being able to build this this great foundation of a franchise. And, and to make that even less possible going forward, I think it, it's sad, but it's probably going to happen just because of the result here. Yeah, and look, there's a there's a chance especially with the way the Sixers' pick protection is set up in the, in, in the trade to get Markel Fultz, there's a chance this could end up benefiting the Sixers. You look at the Lakers, let's say they finish with the fourth-worst record. Previous years, that would give you about a 12% chance at the number one pick. You flatten that a little bit, it might be, you know, who knows, maybe 14 15% chance. Like it, it could go up a couple of percent. It could help the Sixers there. If that pick does convey to, convey to Boston, it could help them with the Sacramento pick in 2019. If you're looking at it purely from a what-could-help-the-Sixers standpoint, Lottery reform could help you in a big way, uh, not necessarily in a huge change, completely changing of the odds way. Uh, it's not going to completely change the outlook and the, the expected value of those picks, which is is kind of going back to my point of well, it's really not going to change behavior. Um, but it, it it could give you a marginal increase in odds, which is good. I just from a league health standpoint, I do think it needs to be easier for teams in the bottom, you know, third, bottom, bottom fourth of the league to move up for the have-nots to change their, their social class, so to speak, and be able to have hope and build something that doesn't involve completely tearing it down and alienating your fan base. I'd love to see the NBA get to that point, but we're not there, and I don't think this helps at all. So I hope it ends up getting shot down. I'm not sure it will. Uh, I think every time they go through this, there's probably going to be less and less support from the lower market teams to, to, to make this happen, but but I do hope it ends up failing. I mean, I was I was stunned. I think it was, what, 2014 when they voted on this. I was stunned when it didn't pass. Mm-hmm. I would be even more stunned now this time. Yeah. All right, let's see. Uh, next up, I know it's been, I don't know how much Euro basket you've been watching, but, you know, one of the, the presumptive top three-ish picks are playing over there right now in Luka Doncic for Slovenia, the undefe- undefeated Slovenian team right now. 
uh, has had a, a couple of actually pretty good pretty good wins led by the led by the Drogic brothers. Um, but Doncic right now is their second leading scorer. He's averaging just under 14.7 rebounds, three assists, shooting I think about 34, 35 percent from three. Uh, as an 18-year-old in in EuroBasket, which is pretty surprising. Like I think if you look at his team, let's see, he's 18. There's one other 20-year-old who who barely even plays. You're talking about guys who are 24, 25, 26, 27, even 30, 31. Uh, when you start getting into Dragic, who's 31 with uh, you know quite a bit of NBA experience. I don't know if the last time we had this, this discussion, if we got your preseason top three, if we ranked who you would have in the top three of the 2018 draft based on what you know today. So I guess we'll start off with that. Who do you like the most, and then where do you go from there? And let's 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 leave this right now. I guess let's leave it right now as a, you know, not team-specific, like not Sixers-specific, because I think that, that could very much change things, but just an overall league-wide, and then whether or not how that factors into what the Sixers should do if they get the number one pick. Yeah, so... League-wide, just how I would evaluate these guys, I would say number one, Bagley, number two, John Doncic, number three, Porter. Uh, that being said, if I'm looking at it from the Sixers' perspective, and for us it's number one pick or none of these guys, right. I, I think I think that Doncic is the, is the best fit for the Sixers. I don't think either one of Porter or Bagley would be a real seamless fit for them, but Doncic would add such an incredibly unique... I guess fourth option. I guess <laughs> I mean, but he. I mean, he would just be such an elite role player, and and that sounds ridiculous to say for a number one pick, but I think that might be the the, the situation that he's best suited in as an NBA player. Like he is, he's not the type of guy who you're going to run every single action through in an NBA offense, or the guy that's going to be taking over a game usually. But as a guy that would reap the benefits of a Ben Simmons and and a Joel Embiid, and also and B being able to hide his defensive deficiencies, I think he would be just a perfect fit on the Sixers. But that being said, overall, I definitely lean towards Bagley as the number one pick uh, because he just has every tool that you want in a modern NBA big man. I mean, he's he's mobile. He can push the ball in transition. He's, he's really good in the post. He uh, needs to work on his right hand a little bit, but he just has all the physical tools. He's going to be a really, really good defensive player. He's tenacious, uh, really, really mobile. I think I said this on the last podcast, but he's like a little bit of Blake Griffin, a little bit of Lamar Odom, um, a couple of other guys too. But yeah, I, I would, I would definitely, I think that Bagley has a better chance of being a top fifteen, top twelve NBA player. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, but you do have Doncic ahead of uh, ahead of Porter. Yes. Yeah, that's. Interesting, because I could see, in terms of pure fit, like I think Porter might be a better fit for the Sixers than Bagley. But I think the talent discrepancy is so wide that I don't think, even if the Sixers got the number one pick, that I would care. Um, you know, I think if, if, let's say, for whatever reason, Doncic is off the board, and I'll, I'll talk about him in a second. But if you said, with the Sixers, with the roster they have, you have to choose between Bagley and Porter, I think I would choose Bagley based on what I know now even if it's not quite as easy to project a role for him on the Sixers. Um, I think the talent discrepancy is pretty wide there. Uh, you know, I think Porter could be interesting because I do think he has a projectable jump shot if you can fix a couple of, you know, mechanical flaws in his shot. But I think he has a, a pretty natural stroke. 
But I don't know, you know, the ISO ball, the defense, I think those are pretty big question marks. Really, he just, he doesn't show any real feel for the game right now. And that's not, I don't want to kill a high school kid for that because that's not exactly unique to him. It'll be interesting once he gets into a system, not that he's going to the best spot for that, but whether or not he will listen to coaching and, and, you know, really change his role and style of play. But I think right now, based on what I know, I agree with your one through three ordering. But man, if they had the number one pick, that would be a, a, a really tough, a really tough, uh, a really tough decision. Because I do think Bagley is the best talent. But how much separation is there between them? Because Doncic is just—if you're going to draw up a fit to place next to, you know, Fultz and Simmons and Embiid, Doncic would be almost exactly what you would draw up. Like just looking at his skill set and his size and his feel for the game at 18 years old, he would really be just about perfect. And I don't know if he's the number one talent in this draft. I don't know if he's the top two or three talent in this draft. He probably is. I think there's a decent chance he is. But he certainly, by far, and not even close, is the best fit in this draft. And it would be, a, it would be, if after May, whatever, May 15th, May 18th, I don't know when the lottery is next year. But if after that we're having this debate, I would be a very happy person. Um, but I have a, I have a, I have a feeling we'll probably much more more likely we'll be having who should we take with the sixth pick in the draft, which still isn't exactly the worst debate to have, but uh, it would it would take a, an incredible stroke of luck to end up with this number one pick again, uh, and I will welcome this debate with another season of playing experience because it is a it should be a fun class it should be a fun I, I'm gonna I don't like I said I don't know exactly where Doncic would rate former right now if it was today it would be he would still probably be a second prospect in this draft for me. I don't know where that's going to be at the end of the season, but what I do know is I love watching that kid play basketball, and uh, he would be a he would be a great fit on this team. No, you're absolutely right, and and I think that we're going to end up in this exact same debate, you know, eight months from now. It's I I think that given the fact that Doncic is a European player, and there's just always so much debate that, that centers around those guys and how they're going to translate, and then when you factor on top of that, you know, we we're pretty uncertain the level of talent discrepancy among that top three. So I think that we are going to end up having that debate, regardless of uh, if it impacts the Sixers or not. I think it's going to be a, a really key debate. When I watch Doncic a lot, I think, you know, I, I look at him and I say, well, you know, he's he's able to do this uh, in Europe, but how will this translate to the NBA? And then I almost have to remind myself, you know, if, if we were to pick pick him out of this game and drop him into a college game, I think he would dominate just yeah. as much. And we might be saying the exact same thing. Um, so I, I, I think that we may end up in – we very well may end up in May having a really, really interesting debate about who's the better talent, Doncic or Bagley. But as of right now, I would definitely lean towards Bagley. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, No, I, I agree with pretty much everything. I mean, it's like you said, though. We're, we're, you talk about if he was in college. Well, you know, he – Slovenia – whacked France the other day, like just absolutely destroyed him. I think they were up by yeah. like almost 20 points at the end of three quarters, something like that. Well, that team, I mean, okay, Seraphin's maybe not a high-level NBA player, but you've got Fournier, you know, you've got Boris Diaw. Like, you've got NBA players on that team. To say that that's not a better competition than what they'd be playing in college, like, I think it's, it pr- pretty clearly is. So I think he's he's playing well. I mean, he, he's a second-leading scorer on that team. He's been pretty efficient inside the arc, a little streaky beyond the arc, but clearly has NBA range. And that passing as, God, like you said, he'd be the fourth option on this team. It would just be insane. It would be really insane. 
No, it would. And, and <laughs> we talk about lottery reform. Can you imagine if the Sixers had three number one <laughs> draft picks in a row? I mean, well, <laughs> but I mean, two be... of them would be the result of trades. Like, I mean, right. okay, they had the third pick last year, but they got the one because of trades they made. They got this one because of the trades they made. Like, I don't know if people, when they look back on this in, you know, 20 years would remember that or even care about that. They'd pr- still probably look at it and be like, God, they got the number one pick three times in a row. And, oh, by the way, got Joel Embiid before that. You're probably right. But that just goes to sh- – nah. I don't want to debate the process anymore. I spent too many years doing that. <laughs> I am very, very okay with the, the position this team is in. Uh, speaking of which, we have um, camp coming up. Camp, I think, media day on the 25th. Camp the rest of that week after there. And it's kind of weird this year because after after media day, you've got about three weeks until the regular season gets here, which is a very short amount of time. So prepare for these stories about you know career best shape, and about how all injuries are healed and nobody has any concerns going into camp. You're already starting to see him with, you know, Ja getting into shape, dropping how many, you know, 15, 20 pounds, whatever it was, with Markel gaining Every, weight with... Everything's 15 yeah. pounds. If you lost weight or gain weight, it's always... Unless you're, unless you're Ben Simmons, who, you know, I think claimed that he went from, like, 230 to, like, 260 or something like that when really he was weighed in at, like, 250 or something at LSU. Um, that was a, a very weird controversy, but you've already got it going on with uh, Justin Anderson too, who apparently now has, you know, a ripped six pack of abs. So those stories will only grow as we get closer to camp. Uh, media day is a is a great day for career best fitness. It's real easy to claim career best fitness. Um, you know, some of them might even be true, but uh, fun times. I'm surprised the season is it for so long. For two months, it felt like God. When is there ever going to be basketball? And I think this this Euro basket tournament kind of it was a good springboard into it because now I'm looking at it. I'm like, all right, well we got we got camp here in two weeks, and then we got the NBA season three weeks after that. Maybe it's also because now I'm really busy in launching a new site, and and we're both really busy in launching a new site. So maybe that helps cut down on some of the some of the dead time. But it it it, it is now starting to feel like we're getting close. We're get we're getting close to basketball, and that's nice. We are, and and when's the first preseason game? I think it's like October fifth or something Sounds like right. that. Sounds right. Somewhere on there. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm excited for that. I mean, as much as it's like, I think preseason basketball is arguably the best preseason of any. And that's sport not a high bar. Because it's just that's not a terrible. Not game. a high bar at all. No, but it's it's the most similar. I mean, it's you're you're seeing the 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 same same guys out there that you're going to see on on day one of the NBA season. I I just cannot wait to see. Ben Simmons, Marco Fultz, and Joel Embiid on the same court. I mean, how fucking exciting was it last year when Joel took the court? Like, with all that Yeah, I, like, I couldn't yeah. believe it. I couldn't believe it. He didn't seem real. <laughs> he still doesn't seem real. You watch him, and he's like, holy shit, he just did that in his first NBA preseason game, and it was it was pretty incredible. Um, hope, yeah. Hoping for more incredible situations. Although I don't want to put too much pressure on, on Fultz and Simmons to perform at that level, because quite frankly, rookies do not perform at that level. But, um... Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an exciting time. It's gonna be an exciting time. And even just seeing you know new pieces like Reddick fit in too. You had a, a great article on a couple of plays that Brown can can run for Reddick. Uh, just watching them integrate him as well is a is gonna be another another interesting facet to a uh, you know to this whole uh, to this whole preseason and training camp and all that. So sounds good. Uh, thank you for jumping on. Once again, follow Mike M O'Connor underscore NBA. Check out the Athletic Philadelphia theathletic.com slash Philly. You just just want the Sixers content, theathletic.com slash Sixers. Also, check out the CLNS Media app. You can download uh, to listen to ourselves, 
Real GM Radio, B-Ball Breakdown, Sam Ficini's Game Theory Podcast, and many more. But thank you, Mike, for jumping on, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, no problem. Thank you. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBowlers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. 